I definitely was a track superstar in the fifth and sixth grade. <laughs> I always like joke and say I peaked in the sixth grade. I signed up for the marathon because I needed to know that I could do hard things and get through them on my own. That was Melanie Henning, and this is episode 18 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Melanie Henning has been a friend of mine for the past 20 years, and more recently a coaching client in her quest to improve at the half and full marathon distances. She was a speedy kid throughout elementary school who routinely beat the boys in short races, but a number of moves with her military family had her gravitating to team sports for the social aspects. Running took a back seat for the next 20 years, but in her early 30s, Melanie founded again, in part because of the favorable weather conditions in Monterey, Mexico, where she's lived since 2002. Half marathons were her go-to distance, and she always swore she would never run a full, but that changed in 2018 when she was navigating a significant challenge in her personal life. She decided to tackle the marathon to prove to herself that she can do hard things. Melanie ultimately caught the bug and has gone on to complete three marathons, all of which have taught her many lessons. We get into the complexities of being a woman runner, managing the inner dialogue inside your own head, learning to relate differently to things outside your control, and the power of owning perceived failures. We'll get into all of this and more during this insightful conversation with Melanie Henning. Well, hello, Melanie. Kim and I are really looking forward to talking running with you tonight. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. So maybe you could start, Melanie, by just giving a, us a high-level intro. Who are you? Where are you speaking to us from? All of that kind of thing. Perfect. Uh, so my name is Melanie Henning, and I actually live in Monterey, Mexico, which is northern Mexico. We're about two and a half hours south of the Texan border, and I've lived here for almost 19 years now. I am an instructional coach at a middle school, high school, a private American school here in Monterey. We're currently working virtually, but I work um, with teachers in developing and designing kind of learning for their students and reflecting on you know, learning progress and the right strategies to use to meet different needs of, of different learners. Very cool. And family-wise, you're living down there with your family. Yes. You've got some kids. So I moved um, to Mexico with a five-year plan to meet another international teacher and travel the world together. And uh, my five-year plan didn't quite work out. I met a local and um, ended up getting married. And we have uh, three kids. I have a twelve, almost 12-year-old. We've got a lot of December birthdays in our family. So I have um, an almost 12 and almost six-year-old and a 10-year-old. Wow. Okay, I am going to give you straight up the honest truth here. So Melanie and I, and we'll get into this. So I coach Melanie, we send a lot of emails back and forth. And your email is like this thing that I can't really pronounce. And so in, in, in researching this for this podcast, I was like, I wonder what that is. So I take your whole, it's like La Chica del Norte or something like that. So I take that and I put it into Google. Of course you Googled her email. 
I did. I, I Googled her email and it spits out. It's it's Spanish, I'm assuming, yes. for the girl from the north. It sure and is. I just put that together, Melanie. I'm going to be totally honest that I just put that together. Isn't that funny? <laughs> and actually, well, you said it with a bit of a French accent. So it's La Chica del Norte because they always, oh, okay. yeah, they, okay. the vowels in, in Spanish are always the same. So it's always A-A-E-O-U. Um, so La Chica del Norte. Okay, so when you went down there for your five-year plan, did you know Spanish? Nothing. We're going off on a tangent here. You didn't know anything? No, I didn't and know now anything. you're fully fluent? Yeah, yes. Um, I, I knew French. I could speak French. And so a lot of French first came out when I was attempting to speak Spanish. And I think they taught me, like, dos cervezas, por favor, because, you know, that's what you do when you go to Cancun. And so I knew that and I didn't even know my left and right. So like when I first got here, taking taxis was really interesting. Wow. Okay. Well, backing up a little bit, um, Melanie and I met probably like quite a few times, I would say between 2000 and 2003 in Kingston through a mutual friend who happened to be my roommate in physio school. And you were best friends with this girl from high school. So that's kind of like our connection from way back when. But at that time, early 2000s, I was just a casual runner myself. And I actually didn't know you to be a runner. And then our paths crossed again, I want to say maybe 2010. Like, would you have that same friend's wedding? Would you have been pregnant with your second yes. child? Very yeah, because you were in the wedding. Yes. Right? <laughs> Very pregnant. And I remember talking to you and you were telling me about some half marathons you'd done. And I remember thinking in the back of my mind, I didn't know Melanie was a runner. So was I way off base? Were you secretly a runner all along? Or was I just not? privy to this part of your story? No, I definitely was not a runner. I mean, I, you know, I always stayed fit and, and, and worked out um, as, you know, as much as possible. And I always, you know, added some running to my regime, but I would not say that I was a runner at that point. I remember actually, when you say that you weren't a very serious runner, going to watch you and your brother at a 5k race in Kingston. Um, and, and yeah, but I was not good. I was not a good runner. You were still pretty stinking fast. Like I remember thinking like, whoa, that girl, like. <laughs> no, you've taken that 5k race seriously since you were like six. <laughs> no, I swear. I'm not lying to you when I say this. I was, I was casual very very Kevin on the other hand do you remember what thinking that he was stinking oh yeah that would have been he was definitely like he I think he might have even won I don't know probably right but um but you were still like you know I I remember watching you in admiration so so even though you were casual like it was still like way higher than what I was doing at the time but no I definitely got into running like really got back into running I guess uh later on and I so I would have been pregnant with Colada at that wedding. And I don't think, I think I didn't do my first half marathon until after I had her. So I think I had just like maybe dappled in some five K's before that. Okay. Okay. I I definitely remember being like, wow, Melanie is a run. Cause it was more than one race that you did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So why don't we go back to the beginning? When did you get into running? If you're revisiting running as an adult, uh, what are your first memories with the sport? So I definitely was a track superstar in the fifth and sixth grade. (laughs) I always like joke and say I peaked in the sixth grade. I lived in Petawawa. I grew up military. And so, you know, moved around 
every two, three, four years. And so at that point in my life, I was living in Petawawa and went to this like tiny little public school, Herman Street Public School. And I was the fastest girl at the school. I, that's my claim to fame. It was not a big school, but I remember we had a track through the so here's my trail experience too, Kim. We had a track that went through the trees. So we had to like, we couldn't go too fast because we might trip over the roots and, or slip on the pine needles. And then we had a really decent hill in our backyard at the school too. So they used to make us run up and down the hill, up and down the hill, up and down the hill. And then we had, you know, our little regional track meet. I always performed really, really well. I would do the 100, four by one, 200 and the 400. And I always, like, I was really fast. And so I I always won that 100 with no problem. And then my strategy for the 400 was just to go really slow at the beginning. And because I was fast, I could just pass it everybody at the end. So uh, I usually did pretty well at those track meets. In fact, that's how my mom convinced me to wear a bra in the sixth grade. Uh, <laughs> I was like, for some reason, dead set against wearing a bra. Like, I don't know if it was a little bit of tomboy in me or what it was, but I remember her sitting me down, the you know, two days before the track meet or a day before the track meet and saying, you know, Melanie, there's going to be a lot of people watching you cross the finish line. It might be a good idea to wear a bra. Like, oh, shoot. Okay. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So, but yeah. And then, you know, I, I went from this like tiny little elementary school and being kind of like the star, the only person faster than me at the school was Gordon Johnson. And he was this tall, lanky redhead. I love that we remember the names of these certain kids from elementary school. And I don't remember anybody's name, but I remember Gordon Johnson because he kicked my butt. But (laughs) I think, I don't know. I think I did beat him one time. I suspect he let me win. But you know, again, I I, I remember saying like, okay, I beat the fastest boy at the school too. I don't know. I think even at that age, boys don't tend to like to be chicked. That's true. So, That's true. Yeah, I bet you you truly beat him. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just go with that. We'll go with that. Um, yeah. And then I went to a junior high in seventh grade. And I, you know, I did cross country, which really wasn't my thing. I hated running far. But I, I mean, I liked being outside. And, uh, and then I did track that season. And we did, we started with indoor track. And I went to my first track meet and I had to wear spikes for the first time. And I got my butt kicked and that didn't feel good at all. (laughs) I think, you know, just the competition was that much bigger. I was at a junior high. There was a bigger, you know, region of kids and it felt really lonely. It didn't feel like a team. I just felt very alone out there getting my butt kicked. And I don't know. I mean, I moved after that year too, back to another elementary school. And I probably ran track because I always kind of ran track, but my heart wasn't in it the way that it was in elementary school. And, and I just, you know, I don't think I put the effort into the training and really kind of, you know, cause I think that the potential was there, but whether it was, you know, the coaches that I had, or as I moved around the need for sports that were like really, that felt more team oriented. Um, like I played volleyball and I played basketball and I danced and I did stuff that, you know, seemed a lot more social. And I think it was just being a kid that moved all that, like that often. I just needed that in my life. So you were a track superstar in middle school and elementary school. And I mean, you've gone on to do much longer distances now. Um, I don't know whether there's anything to fill in there between middle school and having a child and getting into half marathons, but I do know you've done 14 half marathons. Would it be fair to say that this is your favorite distance? And if so, like, how did that happen? How did you get into them? And what do you love about them? 
Uh, I'll start by how I got into them. So I don't know if Carolyn, you remember seeing me at that wedding when I was pregnant with my second child, but I get rather large when I'm pregnant and no matter what I do, I still gain a ton of weight. Like I can be eating healthy and exercising consistently. And I'm just, I'm a big pregnant girl. And the other thing too, is like, I nurse my kids and I nurse them for over a year. And somehow I also gain weight when I'm nursing. I don't lose weight when I'm nursing. And so it started out more as like, I just need to find a way that I, you know, enjoy getting out, leaving the house for a little bit by myself and work on getting rid of this weight. So I had, when I first moved to Mexico with one of my friends, we used to leave school and we'd go and we'd run and we worked up to a 5k. So I had done a couple 5ks just to do them just to, because there's so many, this is a really rich racing community here in Monterey because the weather, I mean, we can race all year round. And so I had, you know, done a couple of 5Ks. And then after I had Colada, I did the from couch to 5K program. And, you know, I think that I I think a lot of runners like me um, probably get started with some kind of a program like that. And basically it was like you run three days a week and you go from like, I don't know, walking 90 seconds to running a minute to like back and forth and you build up to the 5K distance. And so that's how I got kind of into running after my, my two pregnancies. And then I had a friend here who had, who's from Canada and done some, a lot of running with the running room. And, you know, she said, why don't you try a 10 K with me? And I was like, oof, you know, I'm a like, let's just make it to the next tree kind of runner. Um, I don't know, but I don't know about a 10 K like, I'm not really into it that much. You know, she's like, here's the plan. Like the, she had a plan from the running room and, and um, she's like, let's, let's just try it out. So she taught me like, how to do hill training. And she taught me about like kind of the consistency and the longer run on the weekend and things that I just hadn't really been intentional about. And I did my first 10 K and that's when I was like, Oh my God, running is amazing. Like I had to get past that 10 K mark. I just didn't know that. I hated long distances my whole life, you know? And I remember like in track when they used to make us do the long run, I was like, Oh God, like I just wanted to run fast and run short, like, and get it done. And so, but it took, you know, getting that 10 K was really like, okay, now I see, like I had the race experience and it was a little bit longer, a little bit harder. And, and that's kind of, that's actually what hooked me. So then I had another friend who said, well, let's do a half marathon. And so the first half marathon that I did was in San Antonio in Texas, and it was a rock and roll um, half marathon you know, we trained and we probably got a plan off the internet from, you know, somewhere and we trained and we ran together, but I I hadn't really talked to anybody about the intentionality of training and then the performance at a race. And so I just basically went out to do this half marathon thinking that it would look pretty much the same as like what my training would look like. And so when my friend who I was running with started to go fast, I was like, well, what are you doing? Like, this isn't the plan. <laughs> like, This isn't how we trained. And, but she had had some racing experience. And so it wasn't a horrible race. It wasn't a great race, but like, I just, I pretty much ran it to run it, you know? And then I think I maybe did like one or two more and pretty much had the same experience. And then I got pregnant <laughs> with my third child And it was a little hard. It was somewhat unexpected, even though I'd always kind of thought about having a third child. It wasn't like in the plan at that moment. And I felt like I was starting to make some progress with the running or at least really um, enjoying it. And I've always had pretty complicated pregnancies, so I can't run through a pregnancy. 
So just to like to have to give it up just when I felt like I was really getting into it was super tough. But I, you know, had my baby and was like, okay, well, I'll just get back into it. And so I think I did from couch to 5k again, um, you know, and then got into it and probably did another kind of normal half marathon. And then I had um, a half marathon where everything just kind of came together for me where I was in the middle of the race and I looked down at my watch and I was running fast. I mean, for me fast. And I didn't feel like I was running fast at all. And I was obviously inspired by the runners around me and the crowds and everything, but I broke two hours and I thought, oh, okay, this is what it feels like to race. This is the feeling of, you know, you put all of that time and effort into preparing for something and then you come out and perform. And so Mm. I think that was probably about my fourth half marathon where that understanding kind of was discovered. Well, and, and it's those races, right? Like where all the stars align and you're just like, Oh, this, this is what everyone's talking about. Like, this is why you want to keep doing it again and again and again. So you went on and did what? 10 more, (laughs) (laughs) but I made a lot of mistakes after that. So like, I think I got cocky. Like I was like, Oh, I can be kind of faster. And so then I like had a number of halves after that where I started way too fast and it was really humbling um, and miserable. You know, like I'd get to like, I'd be 5k, 5k into a half marathon and be like, Oh my God, I don't think I have anything left in me. What did I do? So yeah, I made a ton of mistakes after that first like moment where it all clicked. It's a fine line that you're walking all the time, right? Yeah. Between improvement but not going out so fast that you blow up. Exactly. Right. And it takes a little while to learn. Like, I mean, some of that you just only do learn through the experience of doing them and and feeling what that pace feels like and knowing your body and all of that. So did you ever have another one like where you went sub two or, or even PB after that? Yeah, I I PB'd just last year, actually, um, in San Antonio again, it was my like comeback. (laughs) I, um, (laughs) I think it was, yeah, I don't know how many years later it would have been, I guess at least six years later. And yeah, I, I PB'd, I mean, I shaved, I think two minutes off of my time, but my original, you know, breaking two hours, but I stayed, I hovered at that two hour place, you know, two hour, one minute, uh, two hours for like Mm -hmm. many races. I just didn't see a lot of improvement for a number of races. Cause I think again, like I wasn't really doing anything to change my training. I maybe in some cases was starting out a little too fast, then had to like pull it back a little later on in the race. What happened in San Antonio for your PBA year ago? What was different? Um, well, I started talking to Carolyn. We weren't like officially coaching yet, but we had done a couple, had a couple discussions and we talked a lot more about pacing and how I should kind of feel in the first part, that whole idea of the negative split. And I was also training for the marathon. And so I don't know if, because I'd had even some longer distances under my belt by that point that helped as well. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we think it's like a fitness thing, but like you said, it could just be a race strategy thing. Like it's just how you're executing the race that can be all the difference. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So you swore. Okay. So here we go. You're, you know, you're the speed demon in middle school and you, you're 
think 5k is like a marathon, basically, this is your mindset, (laughs) right? And then, and then you discover the 10k and you discover the half and you kind of feel like you're mastering the half a little bit, but you always swore that you'd never do a marathon. Am I correct? Definitely. And then in in 2018, you did one. So what led you to want to tackle the marathon? Um, I would love to say that it was a great thing that led me to it, but it was actually like probably the most difficult time in my life. My marriage got super tough and, you know, coming home wasn't always the happiest moment for me. Um, and I, you know, for the, I think the first time in my life was faced with like, oh my God, what if I have to like do this all by myself? What if I have to all of a sudden be a mom to three kids and think more about my finances and think more about like, I live in another country, (laughs) you know, like I'm away from my family and I I have a great network of friends here, but my family's not here. And, and so the whole idea of like, what happens if, you know, three months from now, four months from now, I'm by myself and I got to figure this out. And so I signed up for the marathon because I needed to know that I could do hard things and get through them on my own. And that's it in a nutshell. I did a couple of weird things that year. I like drove myself and my kids um, across the country, you know, from Mexico to Canada on my own. And I, yeah, I signed up and I trained for a marathon, but really that was like the impetus for it. it was just, it was a really crappy time. And I wanted to know that like, I would be okay on my own. Wow. I don't know if if you listened to my episode, but that was exact type of reason as to why I did my first marathon too. It's not always for celebratory reasons, but you just touched on something that actually one of our guests that we just had on Dave Proctor mentioned about how sometimes we fabricate these situations for ourselves to do hard things to basically train us for life, right? And and you had this situation where you were deep in it. You were in the thick of it. You weren't, you know, training for the future. This was it. Yeah. And a lot of people might have chosen a coping strategy that was maybe less healthy (laughs) or less productive, but you chose something that I think eventually gave you a lot of good and a lot of joy and Am I right or no? Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, it was rough. Like I remember going out for training runs and having had a, you know, bad night the night before and just like getting three kilometers in and falling apart and just being like, okay, yeah, I can't, today's not my day. I'm, I'm not yeah. going to run. I need to cry instead. And that's okay. You know, and I'm sure people saw me on the street and were like, oh my God, what happened to that woman? But you know, it, 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 it sometimes it was hard. You can't, you can't run when you're crying. Like I, I can't, I don't know. Maybe some people can, but like your breath gets all, you know? And so, yeah, there were some days um, where I just, I had to be kind to myself and say, okay, today's not your day to train. You have to feel But, you know, there were other days, like I was telling Carolyn, Mexico is, you know, a developing country in many ways, and they do some silly shortcuts. And so they, like when they solder a sign off of the sidewalk, they often leave a little like bit of the metal sticking out, which like that would never happen in Canada. Like it's a, it's a hazard, right? It's a tripping hazard, but it gets, they get away with it here. So on one of these particular runs where I was feeling like pretty low, but I'm like, 
it was one of those choices that I made that I was like, okay, this is going to be more of a mindset run. Like, yeah, you're feeling low, but you're not devastated. So you can run. And so I got to this state point where I was like kind of running downhill and I picked up speed and I was starting to feel good. And I tripped over a piece of this metal sticking out of the sidewalk. And I flew through the air and landed on, you know, the palms of my hand and my knees and scraped myself up. Like there was blood and, and I sat there and I started to cry and I was like, you know, poor me. But then, you know, I, in that moment, I was like, okay, how you choose to respond to this moment says everything about how you're going to choose to respond to the difficult moments that are coming up. And, you know, if you sit here and cry, that says one thing about you. But if you get up, get rid of the gravel from your knees and just keep going, even if you have to slow it down, it's about how we choose to respond to these moments. And so I, you know, shook off my knees and, and I started running. This is a huge running community and there are probably races almost every weekend in the spring and in the fall. And so I came around the corner and I just happened to meet up with a race it was bizarre. And there's these elite runners. Like, so I was at the front of the pack, right? Like, which never happens, obviously. But like, (laughs) for a brief moment, I had my feeling of being an elite runner. But when I looked over and I saw them and I saw their determination and their dedication, and I thought, these guys, like, wow, what they have gone through to get here. You know, you think about some of these elite runners who come from like, you know, small villages or or, you know, not a lot of money. And, and they often are racing in order to like bring money home to their families. And I think these guys have been Mm -hmm. through so much, like you can do this, you've got this. And I don't know, it's like everything aligned at that, you know, all the stars aligned at that moment. And I pushed through it. So again, that's like, that's why I signed up for that marathon, because I needed to know that I could get through. I needed to know I had the resilience. I needed to know that I had the the staying power to stick with things when they got tough. Wow. I'm this, I'm picturing this scene of you flying through the air, (laughs) bloody tears, rounding a corner to be in the lead pack of a a race. This is a better scene than in Brittany runs her first marathon. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. So this is a serious moment though. Like this was, this was a, a very intense part of your life. Um, Everybody's first marathon is a PB. And I know you chase that time uh, in future races. So what did you end up running in that first marathon? Um, And the first one, Carolyn, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you know better than I do. I think I ran like four hours and 27 minutes. Yep. That's what I have. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, I guess it was, I also had, um, I have a really good friend who's kind of my accountability person you know we send each other like what we're she's because she also um, runs marathons and and has is usually training at the same time as I am and she's had a lot more running experience but you know we send each other like journals of what we're eating to keep ourselves accountable to eating you know um, nutritious meals and and you know we check in on each other on our morning runs and she had had a uh, not a great um, marathon experience the year before and I think made the decision, like, I'm going to run with Melanie during this race. And um, I'm not looking to, I just need to kind of mentally get past this marathon hurdle that I've, that, that I've um, reached. And so like, I didn't know she was planning on running with me. So that kind of threw everything off, but I really am thankful that she did because, you know, it was my first marathon. And so 
And I hadn't really talked to anybody about my training. I hadn't worked with a coach or anything. And so I likely would have started too fast. And so she really kept me from starting too fast. She kept me at a great pace. And she then cramped up in the same place that she cramped up in the race the year before and ended up just saying like, go ahead. So it was a great marathon experience. Like there were a lot of firsts for me, you know, like the first that I had run as far as I had without stopping um, to fuel, like I just kind of fueled and drank my water at the same time and kept on going. And, and I, I felt quite good the whole time. So, you know, I, with that, I thought, you know, I could probably be a little bit faster because I didn't really hit a wall. I felt great the whole time. I definitely didn't like push myself too hard in the end. So I, I walked away thinking like, I'm definitely going to do this again. And I think I could be smarter about it and faster. And this was just a really great experience. So you went into it thinking it was like a one and done, like you were doing yes. it to, to prove you could do hard things. And then you have this great experience due in part to your friend sure. who probably kept you conservative in the beginning. Yeah. So then you decided to take on a second one, right? Because you got all the good feels from the first one. So can you tell us what happened kind of in the lead up, the training and everything for the second one, and then what happened on race day? Yeah. So same kind of training plan. Like I got grabbed a plan from the internet and, you know, I can tell you that like, I didn't really learn how to do intervals that well. I, maybe I did actually a little bit better for the one that we're speaking to now, which was in Austin, in Austin, Texas, and uh, started to figure out like, kind of read the fine print underneath the intervals to be like, oh, okay, that's how you do them. And so I got a little bit smarter about my training. And then I think you and I, did we speak before that marathon? Maybe a little bit too? Maybe about a month out from right. it. Like you were almost I was done. almost yeah. done. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so I signed up to do uh, the Austin marathon and Austin's a great city. So I was like super excited for that one, um, except for the fact that it's really hilly. So it's a challenging mm-hmm. course but it's a fast course for people. And so, you know, I had a pretty great training. I trained to the T. I'm, I'm like, I am a dedicated person. You give me a plan, I follow it. And mm-hmm. so, yes. yeah, I trained. I thought I was like in pretty good shape going into it. I was ready to have a great race. And so, yeah, Austin was number two and uh, it wasn't a great race. <laughs> So what did you think you could do going in? Like what had your fitness kind of indicated going in uh, that you thought you could maybe complete it in what time? I was aiming for like a four, like 420, you know, I mean, I, okay. I, I was like maybe secretly hoping for like 415, but definitely aiming for about 420. Okay. And then race day came <laughs> and <laughs> it was hot as promised. So you were prepared for all of those no, things. Well, ish. I mean, the fact that like, I guess, you know, I mean, this happens in Canada too. Like I trained all winter. I, we had gone to Canada for Christmas and I, you know, trained in the ice and snow, did some of my longest runs, um, in, in Trenton. (laughs) And, uh, then it got warm and humid. It was super humid. I think the humidex was like 89% the day of the race. And so, yeah, a couple of things happened. Um, I got my period, which is always a joy, uh, awesome on right race day. On race day. Like, oh. yeah and it was like day two which is you know for a lot of women kind of veer their heaviest day so I had to be thoughtful of making sure I was prepared with you know supplies carried on me for my run because that's one thing that you know and I've, I've heard people people have brought this up before how like the aid station should have 
sanitary yes. products for women. And, and they don't. They absolutely should. You know what? I'm going to follow up on that with a few races. Yes. You know what? I went, I, not to totally interrupt your story here, but I had a roommate in university that used to call them party supplies. So <laughs> we're going to make sure there's party supplies at the aid stations. <laughs> Definitely. You know, and there, there was a girl who ran in, I think she ran in London and she on purpose didn't wear anything just to make that point. But I don't know if she got anywhere with that point. I remember like seeing the picture. It was kind of nasty, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, and then, and then, so we got to the race and I was pumped and I was ready to go. And then it started 45 minutes late. I've heard, this is now the second time I've heard the story, but that is madness like I've never heard of a race starting 45 minutes late. right also considering like it's definitely not the first time the Austin Marathon has happened you know like they had like right. yeah they had um Sean Colvin come in and do the national anthem I mean it was kind of a big deal right which was super <laughs> cool um but yeah I'm like how how is this starting 45 minutes late and there was something with like you know an agreement with a closed street that they had to figure out I thought oh my god so all of your pre-race nutrition you know you you it's like yeah. down to the timing and the wire right yeah. and so like god i'm standing there thinking well there goes my protein bar like shoot um what am i gonna do now and i had gels with me but it's not the same like it's not the same well and then what about your period plan well oh yeah like, that throws your period okay. plan it off also too. threw my period plan off <laughs> Yeah, because I had timed out. I was like, okay, I think I can run for about this much time before I have to deal with being a woman. Um, yeah, so well, that's and even for men, it's the porta potty plan. Like, right, really, everybody's got a porta potty plan before for a sure. run. And when you're standing there, forty five minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah, good. not a it good was. Situation. It was not great. However, my friend Sarah who ran the previous marathon with me, she PR'd at that race. So, like, you know, I think. That is the one thing about running that I, th I think that you have to be really aware of or end life really is that like there are things within the sphere of our influence and there are things out of the sphere of our influence. And sometimes we just have to let those things go and carry on. And so, you know, yeah. I either let that bother me that like, okay, it really sucks that I'm now going to have to deal with my womanly issues earlier on in my plan than I was going to have to, or that my nutrition is a little bit off. You still got to run to, to race. And I think she definitely went in with that mindset and maybe I didn't, I'm, I'm not really sure, but there are things that we can control and there are things that we can. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the race started and, and, um, I felt great in the first half and the, it, the first half was really fun, but it was really hilly. And, you know, looking back, I definitely ran it way too fast and I ran the Hills too hard, but I was just having a great old time, you know? And then, mm -hmm. and then I also think that because I had to like literally duck behind, um, some big old garbage, cans um a couple times during that first half that I was likely trying to make up for that lost time too yeah yeah so so then they at the like you so at mile 12 there's this big stinking hill and so you know I got to that top of that hill and then all of the people that were doing the half turn <laughs> toward the finish line and I turned left and kept going up a hill and I'm like Oh God, why did I sign up for the full? Like that was like the worst <laughs> choice ever. Yeah. And I think I fell, it fell apart right there. Um, and you know, and the other thing too, is that like, I gave myself permission to walk too early on in the race. Um, I think for me anyway, once I give myself permission to walk, it's like, it's, it's, it's not all over, but it, it definitely impacts the rest of the race. So I had to push myself through the rest of the race and I walk 
and I ran and I walked and I ran and I walked and I ran and I crossed the finish line at like 439. Yeah. Not what you were hoping for. (laughs) And, and, but you had these friends, right. That were at the finish line. What happened there? So, well, my friend Sarah had, had PR'd, you know, she broke four hours, which was what her goal was. And she had, that was the first time she had done it after years of trying. And so like, I had to like suck it up hard and just be ready to celebrate her. I, I, I did put my head down on the shoulder of another friend and was like, you know, just a slight little, like, let it out a little bit. Um, but you can, you can feel, you can feel later. <laughs> and it just really shifted to celebrating her and her moment because it was awesome. I mean, she'd been working really hard for that and, you know, had had her own fails leading up to it. So it was, mm-hmm. it, it was great to be able to celebrate her. But not so great to have your own experience. No, not at all. And, and, you know, I think this is like, you know, Carolyn and I talked a lot about the aftermath because I went into a real pretty deep funk Mm -hmm. and I don't go into funks very often. Like I'm a pretty upbeat person and usually pretty cheerful. Um, but I went into a serious funk and, you know, you have like, when you go into these moments of, of funk in your life, people really feel uncomfortable with that. And they really try and like get you out of it without, you know, I think letting you just kind of feel for a moment and own it. And so, you know, I get all of these like, which I know they're all well-intentioned. I appreciated them all, but people saying like, but you finished a marathon. Like, that's amazing. You've got three kids. You work a full-time job. Like you crossed the finish line. And I was like, in my head, like, yeah, but that wasn't good enough for me. And I just kept like for a couple of days, just like really walked around, um, in this haze. And I, I have a friend who's, um, just brutally honest, which I appreciate most of the time. And, you know, he said to me, he's like, you know what you did, you sucked. You ran like crap. He's like, to your standards, you ran like crap. He said, you didn't run for anybody else. You weren't running for me. You weren't running for, you know, Sarah, you weren't running for anybody, but you were running for yourself and to your standards, you ran like crap and you let yourself down. And I was mad at him at first, you know, like I was sad and I just, <laughs> I didn't want somebody to make me feel more sad. And I remember like going into my car and having a full on ugly cry. And then immediately starting to like feel better because at that point I had finally just owned it. I had allowed myself to recognize that like, or give myself permission to feel and to feel Mm -hmm. bad about something. And, you know, like, okay, I'll be thankful later. I'll be thankful later that I can run. (laughs) I'll be thankful later that I cross the finish line. I'll be thankful later that I have a supporting family and that I was able to travel and do a really cool race. But for now, I want to feel my failure and I want to feel sad about it. I think the big thing is that like, knowing that you're just not, you're not going to stay in that feeling. You're not going to stay there for too long, but you do need to give yourself permission to be there. Yeah. So that was, that was kind of a pivotal, pivotal moment for me too. Just also thinking about how I treat other people when they're dealing with difficult times, you know, or like somebody that's dealing with grief, you know, they've lost somebody really close to them. And I think, again, we try and do that, like, oh, well, you know, they're in a better place now, or at least they're not suffering anymore. And we try to like, we try to, to, we don't feel comfortable when other people feel discomfort. And, you know, and they all say that we don't grow in moments of comfort. We grow in moments Mm -hmm. of discomfort. And, and so I think it's also like, 
helped me realize that I need to be very thoughtful of the way I approach other people when they're in those moments of, of discomfort and what can I do to help them own it. Yes. And then, you know, once again, I do not feel that you can figure out how to move forward in a, in a, an intentional way until you really have. Well, you, you speak, you know, about grief, right? And whether whether it's a, a loss of a loved one or if a failure at a race, it's still the grieving process. And that's such a tough one because you're right. I mean, absolutely. We always want to cheer our friends up and make them feel better. But in a way, by not allowing them to own it, it's essentially minimizing their experience, right? Yeah. Minimizing yeah. their grief, which makes you stuck in the denial phase, right? Mm-hmm. Or the bargaining phase. Oh, it wasn't that bad. I didn't do as bad as I thought. No, like when you actually start accepting, then you can move on. Yeah. And people move through that at different phases, but it's, yeah, it's a tough one. I have done that myself many times trying to encourage people, but you're right. It's, it's good to be very mindful that we're not minimizing their experience or dishonoring what they felt at that time in what you say. Definitely. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting about what you said is that as soon as you really owned it and said, yeah, like that friend kind of shone that light for you and said, yeah, you didn't do as well as you wanted. Like, that's all, you know, Yeah. that's, that's what it is. And you own it. It, it actually didn't last long. You were like, Oh, it's almost like a relief. It totally was like, yeah, it was, I mean, it wasn't immediate, but like I had a good cry and then like the fog started to clear for me, you know? And, and then instead of feeling defeated, I felt motivated. Right. Right. And I think that's so this, and, and I fully agree with you when people say they're, they're trying to cheer you up after, like it is well meaning, yeah. like they, they really do just want you to feel better and they, you know, but I think what's counterintuitive about the whole thing is that actually allowing yourself to go into the discomfort of, oh, I feel disappointed. I feel sad. I feel frustrated, whatever it is. It actually loses its grip on you in so many ways where then you can move to the silver lining and you can move to gratitude and you can move to, yeah, I'm, I just completed a marathon. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of just like a different way to get to the same place. Is that kind of how you experienced it? Yeah, definitely. I also think it's when you think about too, like the people that you have in your life or the people that are in your network I think it's really important to think about who those players are and what they bring to you. So like when you're ready for that person to pump you up and make you feel better, then you know that you can turn to that person. And, but when you really need that other person to um, kind of be honest with you, that, that you turn to them when you need them too. So like, I also, that was another piece for me too. Like, thank goodness he called me out, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. even though in the moment I was like, we all need friends like that. Yeah, I have one. I think it's a sure. lovely relationship, but you know totally. what? He is so often right. And I hate it. Yeah. It's like, yes. Yeah. You're right. So you didn't stay in the disappointment of that marathon for very long, did you? No. <laughs> you, uh, you decided to move on. And ha- can you tell us uh, what decision you made to move on? Well, you know, I, I don't know that I made a particular decision in that moment, just that like, I likely wanted to do another marathon. I was actually thinking about maybe running Houston um, this January. And so I, you know, I was like, I definitely need to, I definitely need to do another one because I need to show me that 
that's not the best that I have or, or that's not the best mm-hmm. that I can do. And I know I can be much more intentional. It motivated me to like keep going to, to, to say, okay, this is where I am, but like, how can I maybe train a little bit more intentionally? How can I be stronger? How can I be stronger mentally? Because again, I think I said that like that second half really sucked, but I think a lot of the reasons that it sucked too, is I gave up on myself. Mm-hmm. I gave up on myself when really, when I split from the people that were running the half and by giving myself permission to walk. So yeah, that, that definitely, I, I was motivated. I was inspired and then COVID hit, right? Like everybody else, like, yeah. And kind of all the races, the typical traditional races went away. So then it became, well, first it became, okay, how do I figure out my life in a, vir- in a virtual world? Um, but also how do I keep myself sane while I'm at home working from very early in the morning until sometimes late at night, <clears throat> also homeschooling three kids in a way at that time, like education, we didn't have our, you know, what together at the beginning, like it, we, it took us a, a hot second to figure it out. So, and I had a five-year-old at home who basically had to be like, all of his activities had to be done with him and bless his heart. I mean, we did the assessments because that's what counts. I hate to say that as an educator, but that's all we had time for. And uh, we just kind of, we made it through, but I did, I still, I still ran in the mornings, you know, just to, to keep some kind of a sense of normalcy. Um, I did a lot of treadmill running because to be quite honest, I was a little nervous about going. I mean, it was just still so new. I was a little nervous about going out and being exposed to people. So thankfully I have a treadmill. Um, I started watching TV for the first time in a long time. (laughs) So I'd like download a show and watch it while I was running. So that was kind of a new novelty and something exciting about running. And then with my, my same friend, Sarah, we were like, okay, let's just like build let's look at the summer as building a foundation for something. We don't know what's coming up, but let's just build a strong foundation and and just keep the habit and really get into a good routine. And so we set up a plan that we would follow to kind of, you know, increase the mileage each week, um, maybe take a couple of weeks at lower mileage and then pop back up again. And, and so that's basically what we did all summer. And then we both kind of said, okay, we're likely going to be in virtual learning for the full semester until Christmas. We have a little more time on our hands. Let's train for a marathon again, you know, and we've got like a little bit, kind of a little bit more time in a weird sort of way, a little bit, maybe more flexibility and mm-hmm. we've got nothing to lose. So then I turned to Carolyn for, for coaching. Okay. Let's talk about this. You did your first two marathons with basically a templated plan from somewhere, correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, Why did you decide this was now the time to hire a coach? What were you looking for? So I am a coach. I'm an instructional coach. I work with teachers, which causes them like to work with a coach. You have to want to work with a coach. You have to be willing to be a little vulnerable um, and you have to be willing to expose your practice, right? So you can really kind of dive deep into what things you can do to have a higher impact on, in my case, to have a higher impact on learning in your classroom. And I guess, I don't know if like, I didn't feel that I was ready to expose my vulnerabilities yet because I was still relatively new to the running game. And, and I think with COVID, you know, it's like, it's like just a kind of a time to break all your rules or to let go of things, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, Amen. I don't, right. Like I don't normally feed my kids sugar cereal. I'm not going to lie. Like I've bought lucky charms a couple of times. Um, I'm like, <laughs> I love it. I, they gotta have something to look forward There's to. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so, you know, I was like, why, why not? Like, this is the perfect time to do it. And actually Sarah um, started working with a coach too. And, you know, we thought like now is really a, a time to like lean in, to trust a process, to throw everything that you thought you knew kind of to the side and really try something different. And I, I said to Carolyn, I said, I don't, I don't know how easy it's going to be to coach me. And she said, you got to be ready to be coached. And I was like, okay. I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> so how did, how did that go? How did the virtual go? Yeah. So I had the virtual, um, I just had the virtual on Saturday. So I'm, I'm in recovery mode, which is like, God, I would just want to get out and run. I can't believe, you know, I mean, man, I definitely got the bug now, but, uh, it, it went okay. The training went I think Carolyn, I think it went really well. Like I love, it went amazing. Yeah, I loved it. And I loved somebody else taking care of my plan for me. I loved getting it on Sunday. I think I told Carolyn, it was like opening up a Christmas present every, like every week. I'm like, what do I get? What do I get to do this week? Like it was super fun. And you guys, your timing of the podcast was perfect because it came out on Tuesday night, the night before my workout on Wednesday morning. So I always started my workout with the podcast to inspire me. Oh yeah, no, totally. Like you've had some great people and, uh, you know, so yeah, and the training went really, really well. There were definitely some like perks of doing a virtual marathon and that I got to make my own route, which, you know, whatever I think here, like I live in a really mountainous hilly region. So it still was like, I still had hills on my road and like, it was tough, but still I got to make my own route. I got to start when I wanted to start, but then the downside is like, you don't get that like adrenaline from the other runners around you and, and the, and the crowds. And so, yeah, I mean, pluses and minuses it, it went, I, I ran the smartest marathon I've ever run. Definitely. I'm proud of myself for that. Um, I, you know, I, I really paced myself well in the first half. You know, there are a couple things that were without, that were out of my control. We had like three beautiful weeks leading up to it, you know, low humidity, cooler temperatures. Um, the morning of the race, it, the humidity was back up to like 70% and it had rained, I think the night before, like the roads were wet. So my, what is a- the temperature there in Monterey now? Uh, there's, I think there's a sign that when you arrive at the Monterey airport that says, if you don't like the weather, come back in three minutes. Like it just, <laughs> it's, it's a desert climate. Um, and so in the summer it gets really hot. Like, you know, we go up to 40 degrees in the summer. Usually summer starts around May. It depends on whether or not we have a, a rainy, a, like a long rainy season. Sometimes in April we get a rainy season. So it gets really hot in the summer. And then that usually lasts until about the beginning of October. October, there's like a blip of niceness. I think San Diego, for example. And then it gets kind of rainy and cold. But December is always an interesting month. Like November is usually pretty rainy and cold. But December will have some beautiful days of like, on the weekend, it went up to 30 degrees on Saturday. But today the high was 13 degrees. So it just, so yeah. What was the temperature when you did your virtual run? I think we started at 19 degrees and it went up to about 22, which sounds perfect, but like, yeah, it, is warm. Yeah, it was kind of yeah, warm yeah, and it was just a little warm. humid. It sounds perfect for somebody living in Winnipeg right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's perfect for spectating. Right. That's, that's what it's true. true. That's true. No, and it was yeah. great, but you know, I, and so anyway, I ran, I ran a much smarter race and I, but I, again, like in the second half, 
I cramped in my legs. I got a stitch in my side. I felt nauseous for a while. So like the, the second half was definitely tough, but you know, the, the takeaways that I have is I've become a much stronger and smarter runner, both mentally and physically. Like I, you know, I didn't take my first walk break until I had like eight kilometers left or something. So I was pretty proud of myself for that. Even in my training, like I was telling Carolyn earlier too, like there used to be routes that I would just always take the same way because I thought they were easier that way, like less hilly. And now I turn around and I come back, you know, like I don't even think twice about it. I just like, I'm like, there's going to be hill. I'm going to take it on and it's going to be fine. And so even though I felt like nauseous and lightheaded for like eight kilometers of the, of the run on, on Saturday, I ran through it. I didn't stop. You know, I just was like, you can get past this. You'll be fine. You'll get past the stitch. Like it's okay. You've got this. And I really kind of talked to myself through it. So Nothing lasts forever. Yep. Nothing lasts yeah. forever. And so I think I've just, I've gotten more comfortable in my pain too. You know, I've got, I, yeah. yeah. Well, and you're forgetting the best part, which is that you set a new personal Oh, best. I did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> in a virtual, in a virtual marathon, which relatively speaking is a much bigger personal best. Yes. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I did. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. It was good. So Melanie, what is next for you? What's exciting you, you know, running or otherwise? Well, I'm thinking about taking it back to my sixth grade days. Um. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing the hundred meters. (laughs) Oh man. I loved the hundred meters. I was like obsessed with Ben Johnson too. Like 1988 and I actually saw him. So I remember going to an indoor track meet, I think in Toronto, or maybe it was Ottawa, who knows, depending on where I was living at the time. It's hard to say I moved around a lot, but um, I saw him from afar at this indoor track meet and thought like, oh my God. And then I think that was like the year, maybe the year before he had the metal strip from him and God, it was yeah. such a disappointment. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, coming up, I, I'm looking at focusing on the 10K. Makes me so excited. <laughs> I hope I didn't pressure you into that. I oh, hope God, it feels no. more of like an inspiring, um, you know, kind of outside pressure. Yeah, but, no. Yeah, that does make me very excited. Yeah. Well, that'll definitely switch it up a bit for you and make your body do some different things. Definitely. Yeah. Challenge my body in different ways. Also, like, you know, I think just keep things fresh. Like, you know, it'll be a bit of, I think it'll be a bit of a different training um, plan. And, and I do think I have some speed in me. Like, you know, I have mm-hmm. run, a, well, I ran a, a 51, 40 second 10K without training for a 10K. So my goal is to mm-hmm. just like really get under that 50 minute for the 10K. And then I also think that there'll be benefits to, you know, kind of taking some time with that speed and then on back on the longer runs later. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Woo, wow. So, um, before we move into our rapid fire questions that you're probably well familiar with being a long time <laughs> listener of our podcast, yeah. we would like to ask you another question we ask almost everybody. And that is who has been most inspirational to you on your running journey? Oh gosh. You know, I don't, I don't know that I could really choose one person because I think that, um, different people have inspired me for different reasons. Um, you know, like, like Jen, you know, Carolyn and my mutual mm-hmm. friend, I mean, she was that friend who even in high school, like 
we'd go like somewhere away for the weekend and she'd be up in the morning going out for her run. And we were all like, yeah. you know, <laughs> sleeping in. And She was such a positive uh, influence as a roommate. <laughs> God, you know, yeah. And just that, just seeing that persistence and dedication from her, I think early on. I also think, you know, this, that friend Leslie, who was like, let's do a 10K. You know, that's when I finally realized that like, oh, I can run past that stop sign um, and enjoy it. So, mm-hmm. so she's definitely been a major influence. Um, my friend, Sarah, you know, who even like, like the thing with the marathon is that like you, I mean, for most people, they can't try it again in two two weekends later, right? Like, um, they can't just like, you can't be like, oh, that sucked. I'll just try again in a month from now. Like the marathon, you need to like really kind of, you need to take some time to recover from that. And so to see her have disappointments in the marathon and say, okay, I'll just try again next year. And like, you know, getting into that process again and, and knowing that like, really, you, you put so much into this one moment um, and it could go either way with the things you can control and the things that you can't control. Um, that's just that, you know, I have a lot of admiration for that and seeing people just like try it over and over again and just try to be better every time. Not just like, I'm just going to do another marathon just to do another marathon. No, I'm going to go and try and beat my last time or I'm going to try for a personal best or whatever. So, so that's been really inspirational and, Um, You know, and just, again, listening to people's stories of like, you know, their experiences. I mean, listening to you guys talk about um, what running brings to you and how you got into it. And yeah, it's really hard to pick one person. I think the beautiful thing about, about running is that even though it's such an individual sport, I mean, really most, most people in running, um, are running against themselves. Right. But like, Mm -hmm. but it's such a community and, um, I think other people running are just completely inspiring. And, you know, I do this one race every year, um, in this place called Saltillo. It's like just South of us, but the elevation is quite high and the first six kilometers are straight uphill. But then once you get to the top of the hill and you feel like you want to throw up, um, you take this beautiful downhill into this colonial downtown and it's a little bit cobblestone so you got to watch your ankles, but it's echoey and quiet. And so all you hear are the pitter-patter of everybody else's running shoes hitting that like cobblestone. Mm-hmm. And it like every time I get to that point, you just it's just this feeling of like, wow, you know, I'm not alone. There are other people out here that are working hard and doing tough things. And, and yeah, that just, that really inspires me. Well, I think it's very safe to say that you belong on that list as well, Mm -hmm. because what you've described in a lot of those other people is now what you're embodying yourself through, through your own actions. So I will just say that I'm inspired by you and your dedication to the marathon, to getting better, to challenging yourself and overcoming whatever's going on in your life and your running. Thanks. Ditto. (laughs) Ditto. So we've got our five rapid fire. Are you all ready for those? I'm ready to go. Do you have a favorite mantra when you're running? And if so, what is it? Okay. So this might sound super cheesy, but um, I usually say that I run for those who can't and I keep going because I can. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. 
favorite place to run? If you could teleport anywhere in the world right now, where would it be? Well, you know, I, it's not one particular place, but every time I go to a new city on my own, like if I have to go for a conference for work or something, I love to run to explore the city. So like, it's just a new city. That's my favorite place. Like I toss on my running shoes, I grab my phone, I put my bank card in my back pocket. So if I need cash, I can get cash. And I just like, that's how I see a city, you know, San Francisco up and down the hills or um, wherever I might be like, yeah. So any new city. I love it. And I know I say that way too much in this podcast, but I've done the same thing. And I think it's, it's the best way to see a new city, you know, it's the best way to be a tourist from a taxi or from a car. You just don't see the same parts. Well, you kind of feel like a local too, right? A little bit. Like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Are there any races on your bucket list? If, if they go in 2021, do you have anything on your radar? I would really like to do the Big Sur uh, Marathon. You like the hills. Uh, No, I don't. But I love... (laughs) (laughs) It's just such a beautiful place. So I know there will be hills. But like, it's just so stunning. And we did that trip from like LA to San Francisco. And I ran like in Monterey. And God, it was such a beautiful place to run to. Um, But yeah, that's, that's definitely on my bucket list favorite running book or movie? Well, it has to be Born to Run because of the Mexico connection. And I've actually run with a Tarahumara. Um, Yeah. No way. Yeah. They do a a race here every year. It's a half marathon. I've done it three times where, you know, we, we raise money to support their tribe. And, you know, some of the Tarahumara usually come and run it with us, which is super cool and humbling because, you know, you see these women and they're in long um, dresses and they wear like what on their, on their feet, which are like sandals essentially, um, usually with like tire on the bottom and just like rope over their feet. And it's, it's crazy, um, crazy inspiring too. And, you know, some of these, some of them are just so strong and powerful and beautiful. I'm glad you brought that up because I was actually thinking of asking that, you know, you're right in that area of the world. Yeah. Where, um, there's some pretty incredible natural born runners. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So finally, what is your favorite post run indulgence? Uh, <laughs> French fries and Skittles. Um, not necessarily together, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask. No, I always like, I have to have a good, you know, good plate of French fries, nice and crisp. And man, I just like for my sweet tooth, love a bag of like just the original Skittles. (laughs) Do you eat Skittles while you run at all? No, no, I have not done that. Just after. Yeah. Cool. Just after. Just shake it up instead of a gel. Just throw down some Skittles. I should try that the next time. (laughs) We'll try that in the next marathon cycle. Not for your 10K. Uh -uh. No. (laughs) You don't need it. Oh, well, this has been a lovely, fascinating, inspirational conversation. I've just absolutely loved it. Thank you so much for taking your time with us this evening and sharing your marathon stories. It's like Melanie runs a marathon saga, part one, two, three. (laughs) And and I know there's going to be many more parts and a lot of people probably can relate with many of the things that you spoke about today. And so thank you for sharing. Thank you guys. It's been great.